We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome back to another episode of the A Black Hands podcast. Happy Black History Month to you all out there. Can you hear me okay? We got Sharif with me. Reef, can you hear me? Yep, hear you loud and clear, bro. Say hey to the people, man. Hey, it's great to see everybody. February, welcome. Black History Month is every month. You know, it's part of U.S. history, but February, we're definitely the blackest. That's what's up, man. And uh, I think it's just us today, brother. It's me and you. Um, Ray is out here trying to become a doctor. So he'll get that chapter written, bro. Y'all Dr. Ankrum. Yeah, y'all send him some love. And then uh, Chris is just busy because he out here running the world and ruling the world. So send Chris some good vibes. But th- this is the first time they've gotten to just get me and Sharif. I've, I've had one-on-one meetings, uh, episodes with, with Chris and with Ray, but never with you, brother. You What's yeah. up, man? Hey, you man. Wanna... Oakland, Oakland and Philly, you know what I mean? Like sister right. cities, similar. Okay. And a lot of similar backgrounds and whatnot. So that's uh that's good. I'm loving the uh the background you got up on the drop. Hey man, I, I appreciate it, man. Shahid that's, that's... Malik, you know, his martyrdom is on February twenty first. Okay. Um we we normally as as a family, we haven't we're... That's Malcolm X for the folks that don't oh, know yeah, all these other uh it. yeah. It's Shahid <clears throat> um, Malik, you know, we uh you know, our family and many people usually uh, take a pilgrimage to his and Dr. Betty Shabazz's uh, gravesite up in upstate New York on the, on the 21st. And our family, we've not done it in a couple of years. And so we were literally talking um, today about making sure that that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's up, man. So as it, being at this Black History Month and you and me kind of get pegged as the blackity blacks of the black folks on this uh pod, on this here podcast. Um, you being a Panther baby, I live in Oakland amongst the Panthers and <laughs> have had uh many uh uh just dope conversations with folks from the Panthers and, and mentorship from the likes of Elaine Brown and all this stuff, man. What is what Elaine is this Brown month? from Nice Town, West I mean North Philly? That's what's up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we claim we we. We claim her in Oakland now, brother. So I just want I, I you to mean, know we'll, she's been we'll, there. She's she's on, you know, she's she's there, but she's uh It's like Pac. Like Pac was born on the East Coast, but Pac yeah. is, is a West Coast dude now. It's, I know. Y'all, he's y'all ours. Wanna, y'all want to think so. <laughs> he's ours. He's ours. The same way she is, man. But who who are some folks that you just want to highlight uh, with it being this month and you just being who you are? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I think all four of us are, you know... <laughs> Uh, definitely represent our, our people. Um, Absolutely. And but they know you showing up in a dashiki somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> and, and I'm definitely showing up in a dashiki and I might They do look comfortable though. I can't little, They look comfortable. Spy. Yo, man, it's the most comfortable attire. Like I just, I can't do the, the noose around my neck thing, man. It, it just, even I've worn it, you know, it's not like I've never worn a tie. I've worn them, a, a, you know, a few times, but like, I'm usually at my most miserable uh, when, I, when I'm wearing it. I, I like the flow of the dashiki. But yeah, I mean, one of the, the people I would love to highlight is uh, Dr. Henry Highland Garnet. Um, you know, he's someone that a lot of people have not heard about, but he was a, uh, you know, a lot of people called him America's Moses. 
Mm. He was uh, huge in the in the uh, anti-slavery um, abolitionist work. Um, and another person I, I loved it. And people know about her, um, but I just wanted to highlight something specific. You know, uh, Ida B. Wells, and people know her for her work of uh, with anti-lynching. I just wrote something about her, but yeah, yeah. But yeah. a lot of people don't realize that she was actually a classroom teacher. And she was a full-time teacher and a part-time journalist. And she ended up getting fired because she was advocating strongly for black children in Mm. in that district. And so they ended up not renewing her contract. So then she went to full-time journalist. Uh, But there's there's just so many people, man. You know, I I think I tweeted out today something that uh, one of the teachers at a former teacher at Shoemaker, Gerald Dessis, who taught social justice. And he just wrote about, you know, basically how black history needs to be taught. And it's it's everybody's history. So it's not just black people who should know about it. Like, you know, everybody in this country should really know how different people shaped mm-hmm. this country. Um, and that it's not just a, a February thing, but it's, it's a, it should be a daily and just kind of... As much as as uh, the history of of other people trying to be margin is getting marginalized, you know we need more people and not just black people, uh, really educating people about the history of this uh, country. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's I agree with you, man. I think some of the people that stand out for me is uh, Aramita Ross, and I know there's a lot of yeah, you know, that's uh, my daughter's name, my oldest daughter's name. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've been kind of obsessed with her just most of my life. And, and you know, uh, for those that don't know her as that is as Harriet Tubman, um, and just her story. And I just feel like as somebody who likes Marvel movies and DC movies and comic books, like her her life, it like she's a superhero. Like it yeah. reads like a graphic novel. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm I'm Christian, I'm I grew up Baptist and I grew up in that book and that word. And they always called her like, you know, the Moses of her time, of her generation. My thing is like, well, she actually got to the land of milk and honey. She actually got to see what like that freedom kind of looked like, whereas Moses didn't quite make it there with his people, but um, it had to be generations after him. But I just, I I look at what Harriet Tubman just kind of means to the world and how she should mean more. And if we actually did do history right, I mean, if you changed her color, if that would have been a white lady Mm -hmm. with that type of story, Mm. you know what I'm saying? Can you imagine? Like, can you just like imagine, right? Like I would celebrate this story where there was a Latino woman and an an Indian woman, like whomever, like this story is just, it's just so crazy, man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so she's one of them. The other one is a little, a little less conventional, but had a huge impact on my life. And that was Stuart Scott from ESPN. Mm. Um, just in, you know, if y'all have done a live show or seen one of our shows live, like I, 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 I pride myself on just being authentic and being me and trying not to change it up. And I mean, I want everybody comfortable, but also not at the expense of me being who I am. And Stuart Scott is one of the first people that I saw do that, like on ESPN, right? Like he brought stuff that my friends would say at, on the schoolyard, like into <laughs> ESPN. And he was cool doing it, man. And he would do you know, uh, these highlights. And then it was like, oh, that don't look as stuffy and boring as like, it has always looked to me like, it, it, like he having a good time. He's having fun. And and that's what basketball was for me. It was fun. And, and so, but Stuart Scott is 
without him is so many black journalists and not just like that he opened the door for other black journalists. Cause I think about Stephen A. Smith, I would actually add him, Shannon Sharp, uh, Jamel Hill, uh, Michael Scott, that's a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. But I think about the way in which people report on sports. Like, oh no, I was a kid at one point. Like I love this. Like I get to be me. And it just shows me more. You know, my working theory is whenever we just do us, the world follows. So when we do us in fashion, when we do us in sports, when we do us in music, the world not only follows us, but they like copy it, right? Like there are girls paying thousands of dollars to put, you know, chemicals in their lips to make them more plump. And I feel like the place where we chase white folks education, economics, I feel like we just are constantly behind and we, and it doesn't seem like we're grabbing onto that foothold. And so I mentioned Stu Scott because he didn't follow convention, right? Like Chris Berman was there. And if y'all, Chris Berman is a legend and he just was, you know, he was one of the first people to define what that football voice can kind of sound like. But Stuart Scott just was, he just told black folks that they could just be them. He told Mexican people they could just be them. He told women, just be you. Like, if, as long as you know the sport, be confident in front of that camera and that microphone. So I just wanted to pay a little bit of homage to Harriet Tubman and Stuart Scott. Probably an interesting pairing if you're listening, but damn it, I love both of those people. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, with Araminta particularly, you know, that's like my mother. You know, when we were, I, th- I think I said this before, but my mother used to tell us, you know, that she was a relative of ours. And, you know, so we were always like trying to, you know, just make sure we we're making uh, Harriet Tubman proud. You know, they were like I was probably like 10 or 11. I'm like, I don't know if that's actually true, mama. Like, Can you prove it's not? <laughs> you know I mean? like, it's just like, no, but, you know, it is funny. I want to give a shout out to uh, Sister Janine Cook, who opened up Harriet's bookstore, of course, uh, uh, in tribute to Harriet Tubman. So it's a, a bookstore that really highlights black women and black women authors um, on Girard Avenue in, in Philadelphia, Fishtown section. Um, okay. City. And so we were there this weekend and got some more. I was, I've been looking for this book that I used to read in elementary school over and over. I was like a serial reader. I would read the same book. You What's know. your favorite book? Because I've been talking about this like for a long oh time. I, man, I don't have a man. Because you know when you know when we mention, and I get this now, like when we mention something that we're reading or watching, mm-hmm. I always get messages afterwards. Hey, can you tell us what that book was or yeah, where you find yeah. it? So, so they love when you name books, man. People want to know what you're reading. What do, what do uh, you? You know what? I actually, and I'm trying. I don't have. I didn't put the book down here, but there's a. But it was this elementary school book that I, I just remember so many vivid stories out of. It was about Harriet. Um, and so, of course, I picked that up because I was like, I've been looking for this book forever, ever since elementary. Just a couple of the stories that I remember out of it. Um, I might have. I would say favorite. One of my favorite. I have a bunch of favorite books, man. But I'll give you one of, of course, Autobiography of Malcolm X. I just mm-hmm. I love that. I yeah, love to uh, bury my heart at Wounded Knee. I would read that incessantly. I would read Malcolm's book um, incessantly. I used to love reading Roots. Um, I loved reading. Uh, never, the land. I, would, I would never, ever. <laughs> I can never, I could never read Roots. Ever. Yeah, no, I, I read it. Man, and it was, I'd have it was a, a record. Yeah, no, I, I read that. Um, the Judas Factor. I enjoyed, mm. you know, um, you know, reading that. I would read Frederick Douglass's autobiography all the time. I mean, it's so. It's just so many. I, I love. I love history. I love biography. So you know, any of that genre, man. I, I just. 
enjoyed reading it. And I also love reading comic books too, you know? Yeah, man. Watchmen is one of the dopest like graphic novels I've ever read in my life. Um, I know it's getting repopularized with the HBO show, but mm-hmm. if, if folks like that show even a little bit, you should definitely read the source material. I mean, it's a quick read and it's great. Um, for black people, obviously, um, Malcolm X's autobiography, I remember being really young reading I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, mm-hmm. and I need to read it again as an adult. Like, I, like just the level of insight that that you were getting about like this young like black woman who was destined for all this greatness. And just, it makes me think about when all the Trayvon Martin stuff was happening and people were getting shot. And it's like, yo, if you judge me off of who I was as a teenager and determine whether I deserve to live a full life or not, like you should definitely read. I know why the cage bird sings. Uh, and even autobiography of Malcolm X, like they both just went through these incredible, like transformations. Right. And I think Baldwin talks about these things too. Um, the fire next time is one of those books. So I love, those are just books that I love. I I love, um, nonfiction, but surprisingly, one of my favorite books is a fiction book. Um, invisible man. I think invisible man may be one of the most, uh, it's just one of the most beautiful things put down on paper, like just the way in which Ellison wrote it and told the story and just this no name guy that you just follow and are just entrenched with throughout this whole thing. But the book that I reference the most, because people everywhere I go now, people are asking me like, what do I read? I didn't know this was going to be a, a, a byproduct of when you like write some stuff or you graduate from something, but everybody asks me what I read. And the best book I've read that I go back to that gives me all of my shit, courage and strength and whatever. It's uh, the emperor's new clothes, man. It's a book I read when I was five years old. One of them Aesop fables or Christian. I was about to say, what's that book? Or, what book is that? You talking about the, the or Hans Christian Anderson. It's one of the, it falls in one of them. Yeah. And so <laughs> here's the story, right? The reason why, because I just been on this hype around why not me? Why not us? Why not a black hands? Right. Why not Sharif Charles Ray and Chris like on a tour actually giving talks to their people. And then go back and reread that story. And the story for those that don't know is there is a really insecure King It's quick. Cause it's a story is very simple and uh these two folks come from out of town and they see how insecure he is and how insecure the townspeople are and so they hustling and they basically say we're gonna spin you the most beautiful clothes ever but only those that's worthy of they, their job or their lot in life can see it so <laughs> because he's insecure he's like okay like and he don't see nothing but he's like oh that's beautiful and he ask his courtiers and his the people that he trusts and they don't see nothing but they don't want to lose a job right they're like damn i thought i was worthy but i guess i'm not and uh and this just goes on through all the staff till finally he's given a talk in front of the town and all these towns and he, the, the, the townspeople and the merchants they're like you know they make the announcement yo King is about to show y'all some of the dopest threads ever, but only those worthy of they lot in life can see it. So the whole crowd is lying, right? And it took for some kids, it took for little kids to walk up and be like, hey, bro, you you naked. Like, you swinging out here. Like, you know what I'm saying? You just... Well, the version I saw, they, he was in pajamas, but go ahead. But whatever, right? <laughs> but the point, but my takeaway from that is a few different things. One, children, the only ones that's really capable of telling the truth, the minds of a child. Two, we all a little naked and three, and we all lying about seeing some clothes. And my, what, my takeaway is that on these issues that we talk about, whether it's about our community, whether it's about education, listen, 
nobody knows what the answer is. Like you have to, like, we just got to get to a point where like folks are just throwing stuff at the wall. Some things stick a little bit better than others, right? There's a lot of research and we're moving closer, but we haven't figured it out. It's either one or two things though, Sharif, either somebody's going to agree with me that we haven't figured it out and they trying to figure it out right alongside us, or there are some people that know exactly what needs to happen and just choose not to, which would then make you evil. So I'd rather be ignorant versus evil. Um, but that's why like a book that I read when I was five years old, sitting on somebody's carpet, like is still helping guide me today because anytime I get afraid to do something or like, even with this podcast or us like getting booked to go do stuff like that, that doubt would creep into your head until you just like, why not us? Like, all these people naked, man. They all, everybody just trying to figure it out. And we got something that actually important to say. So it should be us. So that's why I like that book and that story. I don't know if you got it quite that same way. Um, but that is my favorite book as of now. But you did something else, Sharif. You you brought to our attention this brother that said, and, and you did it on f- for damn for uh, Black History Month, Sharif. So this is all you, brother. You brought us a brother that looks like he's pretty smart and done some research, but he's talking about we've had this influx of black politicians, but it hasn't quite translated to black people. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of of it, but is there anything else you want to cue up before I play like three or four minutes of it and we we dive into it? Yeah, no, I I mean, I, I was, you know, I think this is something that we've spoken about before. And so it's really interesting to, to hear his take, particularly the numbers. I just wasn't aware of the numbers of the politicians. But, you know, go ahead and cue it up and then we can, you know, right. talk about it. Well, it's queued up. Let's listen to this brother. Uh, and what's that brother's name one more time, man? Um, you remember your guy, me, brother? Don't give me the lion. <laughs> <laughs> this is your people's, man. I, I'm not going to say all that. It's Jason, <laughs> Jason Riley. Jason Riley. Um, let's see what Jason has to say. Since 1965, the number of black elected officials has exploded. Between 1970 and 2012, it grew from fewer than 1,500 to more than 10,000. And oh, yes, a black man was elected president twice. Conventional wisdom would suggest that all these political gains would lead to economic gains, but that has not proven to be the case. In fact, during an era of growing black political influence, blacks as a group progressed at a slower rate than whites, and the black poor actually lost ground. Why was the conventional wisdom wrong? Because it was based on the incorrect assumption that politics was the pathway to black progress. Only black politicians, so the thinking went, could properly understand and address the challenges facing black Americans. It wasn't stable families, hard work, or education that would lift blacks into the middle class. It was more black city councilmen, congressmen, and senators. But the evidence, even according to liberal social scientists like Gary Orfield, indicates that there may be little relationship between the success of black leaders and the opportunities of typical black families. So while black politicians from Tom Bradley and Marion Barry to Maxine Waters and John Conyers achieved considerable personal success, their constituents did not. Yet this calculus political success as a prerequisite to a better life, remains progressive orthodoxy today. 
When Michael Brown was shot dead after assaulting a police officer in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014, much was made over the racial composition of the police department and city leaders. But if black representation among law enforcement and city officials is so critically important, how do you explain the rioting in Baltimore the following year after a black suspect there died in police custody? At the time, 40% of Baltimore's police officers were black. The Baltimore police commissioner was also black, along with the mayor and a majority of the city council. What can be said of Baltimore is also true of Cleveland, Detroit, Philadelphia, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Washington, D.C., where black mayors and police chiefs and city councilmen and school superintendents have been in office for decades. But to what end? As I document in my book, False Black Power, when blacks had little political power, they nevertheless made significant economic progress. In the 1940s and 50s, black labor participation rates exceeded those of whites. Black incomes grew much faster than white incomes, and the black poverty rate fell by 40 percentage points. Mm. Between 1940 and 1970, that is, during the Jim Crow era, with its racist laws, and before any affirmative action, the number of blacks in middle-class professions quadrupled. In other words, racial gaps were steadily narrowing without any special treatment for blacks. And then came the war on poverty in the mid-60s. This was supposed to close the gap once and for all. Yet despite billions of dollars of government assistance in the form of welfare payments, housing projects, and enforced hiring programs like affirmative action, black poverty rates remained unchanged relative to white poverty rates. In fact, a strong case can be made that to the extent that a social program, however well-meaning, interferes with a group's self-development, it does more harm than good. Government policies that discourage marriage. And- yeah, definitely stop it here because uh, you know, it here. starting to go off the tracks. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's about whether I agree or not. You know what I mean? I think that research and data is research and data. But what's your and I did I went and looked him up and kind of tried to see, you know, if he was an ultra conservative or liberal or whatever. It's a little murky, but um what is your take? Uh, you found you found him. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, interesting, you know, the number, the exploding numbers of, of politicians. I just never uh, thought about that. But I think a, a lot of things, uh, you know, come up. I definitely uh, think when people are forced, you know, through segregation and things like that, government institute segregation, uh, you know, people were, you know, that idea, you know, we, we talked about this idea of, you uh, Kujichakali is self-determination and and people rallying in our own schools, our own hospitals, this this kind of for us, by us. Uh, you know, like think I think it made a difference. I, th- I think where I take exception to it is is like what he's not understanding. You know, Malcolm once said that, you know, racism is like a Cadillac. It's a new model every year. Right. You know, people talk about how racism continues to morph. And so I, th- I think he's missing a, sh- a strain in that. And I do agree. And even with politics, you know, like I believe a lot of things are local, but you also know that, you know, uh, all politics is not the same. Right. And so we can say, yeah, the numbers exploded in a lot of local elections, which means they sh- things should be happening. 
But there's also like very few folks in Congress who are who identify as black, very few folks in the Senate in the history of the United States. Um, you can count the amount of black governors on one hand in the history of this country. And so, you know, I, I think there's I think it's more layered than what he's um you know what he's saying or how yeah. he's de- at least describing that you know and i know it was just a clip um yeah i think it was interesting i think that it also kind of falls in line with the 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 thesis that you know chris and Brightbeam were making too right is that like in mm-hmm. the most liberal places where it's supposed to be the most racially forward-thinking spots is actually the worst for uh black people uh for Chris and Brightbean, it was in the education sector. And for this gentleman, he was talking about as a result of politics. I think that, I think it's interesting, man. I don't know if all those things are directly connected because I, I do think it's a good thing to have more black folks in office and whatever the case is. I also, it just drives me harder to my, the way in which I view the world though, right? Like I view the world in a, you are on your own. Like I don't even, I, I don't, I don't, I, I wish it was like this where I would just expect people to lend out the helping hand because we both black and there's like this kinship there. But I don't expect that. And I never kind of have, you know what I'm saying? And I think that um, so I just think that is really interesting. And, you know, looking at how I grew up, I grew up like on the welfare, right? Like I grew up, you know, really humbled by Lincoln Court and Elmwood Court in, in Paducah, Kentucky you know, Lincoln Corps, my grandmother, and just like, it's a humbling experience, but it also was an experience that I knew I didn't want to have when I became an adult. And I know that that's something that she drove into me, right? Was like, look, we own this because this is just what our circumstances are, but you're going to go to college and you need to go do something different. And, and she got me to believe the lie. And the lie was college will fix this. You know, college will be the thing that puts you into the middle class, whether that's true or not, because I don't think it's true for everybody, but that's the lie that I sold myself and that's the one that I followed. And it's a large part of the reason why I'm here even having this conversation. So I think it's interesting. I think it's like when somebody says something like this and points data at you, I think you got an answer for it. I think you do have to like, yo, well, what does that kind of mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like what, what, what should we be kind of doing about this? But yeah, I mean, wh- I mean where, where, where do you go from there though? Cause you live in Philadelphia just got named, mm-hmm. um, you know, and how do you feel black folks are faring in Philly? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like some of it, I, I definitely agree with, you know, I, I think part of it, we don't have enough politicians. Like when you're talking about Philly, like uh, folks who were like uh, Cecil B. Moore mm-hmm. or David P. Richardson, uh, right? Like these were politicians who put their people front and center. Uh, they were shutting things down if it wasn't going right. They were demanding that, you know, you look at Philadelphia, if you go by, you know, all this construction and, and things you go by, like you rarely see black folks building, whether it's in their neighborhood or not. Like you just don't see that. Right. You see mm-hmm. a lot of New Jersey plates. You see a lot of folks come, driving in from the suburbs. You see a lot of uh, uncle, nephew, son, grandfather connections. And, you know, and despite the fact that, you know, uh, the largest group of people in this city are, are black people. You don't see that playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Cecil B. Moore, you know, and then we're back to this politician thing. He, he once said that, uh, not once, he often said, according to my man, Michael Cord, uh, every time, uh, often when I get a black man, a good job, I make another white man. 
And I've said this before in a podcast, right? So you you layer that with a politician. Every time a, a black politician gets elected, you might be creating another white man. You know, it just really depends on where their heart is, what their focus is. And and yeah, like, yes, you're if you're governing, you are not just the governor of uh, people who look like you, but they should definitely not do worse. But once you're, you know, once you're in that space, right? And so... Like, what does that mean? And if you're if you're leading through a, a way of equity and justice, then how do you make sure that there's equity in in hiring practices, there's equity in minority business development, that there's uh, justice in, you know, the educational sphere. Right. Like and I just I don't think people push hard enough, you know, the way that David P. Richardson and and Cecil B. Moore and, and other folks did. And I, I wish I am. I'm hoping that we have a return um you know, to that, that kind of, you know, politician, but who's also this activist um, and hell bent on making sure that things are things are just that they're they enter that space to be just to lead with uh, justice. And then, you know, sometimes you got I think a politician has to think about it like I'm not here forever. And I think mm-hmm. some folks are, are there and they just like, hey, I just wanted my goal. What's your goal uh, to get reelected, <laughs> you know, um, as opposed to um, other things. But I'm hopeful. That, uh, I mean, I think they all got goals when it comes time for re-election, right? I, like, I think I think they'll all be like, yo, well, this is what our community needs and what, they, and they need this, that, and the third. I mean, yeah, I ain't mean to cut you off. I just was hearing you, and I'm just like, yo, like, it's always going to be something in my book, though. Like, it's always going to be... Um, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to think the way that I think in the sense of I would love to have a more collectivist, like spirit about this stuff and that we all in this together. And on some level, I agree with that, but like, I see what that looks like. I, I go, I'm in Chinatown. Like when I'm in Oakland, like I'll go to, I have to go to Chinatown and that's where one of my coffee shops is. And just, but just seeing how they, they just rock with each other in a different way. Like you just, they're not going to Whole Foods and the Trader Joe's for the most part. They're going to their street merchants and buying their stuff there. You know what I'm saying? Like they are, their kids are leaving the fifth grade and they are coming together in groups and saying, where are we sending our kid together? Like it's just their collectivist spirit is just very different. And it's hard. Um, it's hard to have a collective spirit when you don't have people on board. Right. So what it ended up happening. Cause I remember this, man. I remember just think about what my friends, like I remember trying to like change stuff or say, we won't, we going to go and do a, let's go on a, a vacation or let's go to Paris. I talked about going to Paris with my friends, man, for years. And every time it got time to go, Somebody didn't have their stuff, right? Or it was a bunch of reasons why we couldn't go. Maybe they weren't motivated to go to Paris. Maybe no, I'm just talking I'm just, about going to, to Ghana. It's the the point. Or, it don't or, matter whether it's Ghana, the Bahamas. <laughs> or it could have you know I mean? been around the corner. Like it don't matter. The point that I'm making is you, like, you need different friends, bro. When when my when my I squad just, ready to move, we move. Yeah, you know I mean, and I, and, I, and I think you got a good group. I think, but I but I'm also somebody who's traveled the world alone, right? Like I just don't have that type of. Maybe your collectivism is fueled by the people that you are around and the type of conversations y'all are having and what y'all are doing. I just don't feel like Look, my anybody's going to says, come save us. And I think you got to go do what you got to go do. Listen, my wife always says, if you want to, um, if I need to know you, I'll look at your friends. Right? Absolutely. So, so get your, yo, get your, get your flock together, bro. 
I mean, well now, well now you counted in my flock, right? I mean, yeah, listen, no. I, but I ain't never been so, a type, but I've never been a type that had just a whole like bunch of friends and stuff like that, right? Like I, I listen, man, I think it's because I moved around so much and went yeah, to so that's many true. schools. That's true. Like I went to 11 elementary school. So you learn that's a lot. Yeah, it's hard to, pretty yeah. quickly, right? And I, I also play sports where you got a star on your team. And normally what happens in crunch time, you get that star the ball. Maybe that star scores and maybe he doesn't. But after watching somebody else so miss. You were, giving, you were giving the rock a lot to other people? I mean, I think, I mean, there are times when I took shots and it, and it worked out or whatever. But, 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 but we definitely had a, but we definitely, there, we, there was definitely a person like, and not just him, I'm just saying in general, but there's like, I've been on those teams where it's like, yo, we got to feed that person and then they missing. You like them, I could have missed. Like, like, if I'm going to strike out in life, if I'm going to like not live the life I want to live, I got to I got to do that knowing that, that at least I did everything that I could do. And I might not be able to get to these places alone. And I hope that people want to ride, man. But like, I think that we in a time where folks are not where it's getting even more and more difficult to have a collectivist like uh to be able to move uh, in community the way in which I think we've talked about before. Um, and it's, that's, that's just a problem, man. That is, man I, think, like, I think people are doing it. I, I mean, I think I hear you when you talk about Chinatown, but you know, I, th- I think sometimes we do these broad generalizations, right? Like, you know, folks from Southeast Asia, right. May not necessarily be, you know, when you look at the data, that's not necessarily the same. Right. as, you know, other groups of Asians, right? And so I, I think, you know, when you look at, at Chinatown, I can show you, uh, you know, community, other communities. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's not, and, 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 but, I wanna, but I want to be clear though, right? They're also banding together and getting things done. But, and having but that's the point that I'm vote. making, whether it's Chinese or black people or whatever, I've seen it in small pockets. I'm, I know there's like, I mean, there's places on the East Coast and in the South where black folks came together and built whole towns, right? There's mm-hmm. Black Wall Street. Like there's a bunch of- and what happens every time something like that occurs yeah they get bombed like like yeah. black wall street didn't just get a, they they got attacked and bombed right like i think that is it makes it really tough so i'm not saying that this is not a thing around i'm not trying to isolate racial groups right one i do have an admiration for like chinatown cuz i just i am just amazed. I'm amazed at their education stuff and they don't ever have to go to a school board meeting. Like I'm amazed at how they just kind of tuck that in and keep it to themselves. What I'm saying is I think we're in a space where we don't really understand what interest convergence is anymore. I think there are all these kind of fake purity tests that we have for people, uh, which is causing us to miss out on good people in these movements. I think that we live in a time where Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. would not have been able to thrive and do what they needed to do because of their past and because of the way social media works. I don't, I don't think there's any way Martin Luther King Jr. gets to become Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, when those tapes hit Twitter. Like, I just, I don't, I don't see it. And that scares me and that bothers me because it means that we not, we don't have the ability at this moment as a collective people, I'm not saying individuals, right? But as a collective people, I don't think, I think we lose sight of the big prize and it shows up in these type of ways because you can do this thought experiment with students, do it with your kids, right? Like, like, yo, do you think like Martin Luther King Jr. could be Martin Luther King Jr. today? Do you think he could like have on record him cheating on his wife and the FBI have a tape of it, of the sounds and release it to the public? Do you think that he'd be able to do the March on Washington after that? Like, I'm just saying, that's just the time we live in right now. 
You know what? I I mean, I I hear you, and I just I. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, correct what, what me. I, like, I want to. I, I want to know because I want to. I want to. I want to be hopeful. I, yeah, I want to be I mean, hopeful. So I mean, I'm I, asking I think, you. I'm not arguing. I, I'm just asking you to help me. Yeah, I don't. But that's what I'm saying. I don't. I'm trying to understand. Like, where you were saying, like, if someone does something because of Twitter, because of social media, they can't be great because of it. Like, I'm, I'm trying I, to understand I, what, what, what saying. I'm saying. What I'm saying is, we talked about collectivism. We're talking about interest conversions. We're talking about a movement. And what I'm saying is, is that with how individualized and how gang mentality social media is today, we don't let people grow and evolve or we hang something over their heads as if somebody else is perfect. Yeah, but wait, but remember, you're you're also saying like the way that you're saying it, it sounds like almost everybody. And no matter like what happens, you will have people that will, you know, defend the person, ride with the person. Right. Like yeah, it's not like a 100 percent to zero. No, no, no. What I'm right? saying, but it's such a distraction. Like, do you think like really? Right. Do you do you think that King would have made as much progress today in today's society? than in his like really though like really really think about that. i mean this it's listen everybody is in is on their path during their time right That's, and so yeah. if we're so if we're saying like oh would this person be like you know would frederick Douglass be you know would he be this in 2020 with with the folks from 1960 1960s who's leading something well, like yeah, but, is, you know what i mean like it, it reminds me of like when i was younger i used to say like oh i wish i was a black panther with my parents i wish i was I wasn't your child. I wish I was one of your, you know, your brothers, you know, one of your compadres, like one of your, your compadres, your comrades. Right. And and they would tell me, like, you know what, like you weren't for that time. You're for this time. Right. And so, like, I think, you know, we have people we have. An, I think the movement is different. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the movement is different when when. uh when the FBI puts out a memo and says there will never be another black Messiah, right? Like when right. the FBI says that, right? Right. And, and then there's a, my son, my son, he's, he's 19. He was talking the other day. He was like, you know what? I, I like how people are, while there are leaders in this space, he liked the idea that there was, it was less of a hierarchy in a, in a lot of the different movements that there's, you know, the other side of social media that people, the people are being more responsive. They're being more aware. And, you you know, you see it internationally as well, right? Like people are mobilizing around particular things. They're using it to communicate. And, you know, he's young, you know, where I'm old school, I'm like, you know, they, yeah, but there still needs to be like a, a leader. You know what I mean? I think so too. Where he, yeah. he, his view is like, you know what, like, nah, it's actually, you know, it's, it's different now. And, and I think there should still be. It's, I think it still has to be like a a a north star, but like what it looks like may just very well be different. And you know, like that's he's in a different generation. And yeah, I, and I get that. And like I said, I, this is first off. I just want to kind of show that we are having a great debate. Ain't nobody yell. Ain't no yell. Ain't no screaming. I'm just saying. Like oh, I didn't Sharif, know this is a Sharif debate. Go, I mean, if no, I know no, this is a debate. debate, then I would have turned it on and just and and made sure that you felt like you lost. No, that's and, just uh, that's just me giving that's just me okay. giving Ray a hard time. Uh, nobody nobody's cutting you off for nothing to say. Um, but no, I think I think I guess what I'm trying to say is, look, man, I am 
I'm here with this. I'm on it. Like we're doing this work together. And I think what the brother was also saying is, look, I think some people do believe what we believe. And I think that a lot of folks did put their faith and their hope and dreams into these politicians, right? Like, look, we got us a black one. This, But I also have worked in politics. And I also know, like, it's why it's always crazy when I hear stump speeches, right? Because it's like, yeah, I don't know under what world you think, like, there's a system that you become a part of when you do these things. Like, you don't just get to go in and just do whatever you want. It doesn't necessarily work like that. But I think it is illuminating when it's like, look, like as a what like an agenda that kind of is laid out like this is what we want if we don't get nothing else these are things we want right and try to have that conversation in a room with just any group of people right whether it's all black people or all men or all ball players between the age of 25 and 27 right like it's gonna be it's going to be mayhem. It's going to be bedlam, right? So I just, I mean, like I said, I, mean, I, I want to, I want to challenge, like, I, I just, I challenge me because I'm curious. I I'm disagree with that. Like, I, I mean, I, I just, I guess the people that I grew up watching, right? Like they, they started a school. Mm-hmm. They were doing movements, right? Like they, they were either in the Panther or they were in, right. in uh, some other groups and they were doing things. Like, I, Absolutely. I don't see this. Like they came in a room and they couldn't agree. And like, I yes, just, there would be that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm really he saying. He said it's mayhem. It's like, like, oh, they can't I'm get talking, nothing I'm done. Talking about on the like, scale. It's like this wait, doom wait, and gloom. Wait. I'm talking about on the scale of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. I do think that that's way more difficult today than it was then. Far more. And I'm not like we've built something. So I'm not. Of course, I think that a small group of folks can come together and like and how much that was led by the individual or the collective group or whatnot. I don't know. I think it varies. But what I'm talking about is Martin Luther King level of impact, like in today's society with him as his whole self, his whole person. But that's I mean, I guess I'm just looking at it differently. Even when you look at Dr. King, what I can't look at Dr. King without looking at all the people who were who's the whole team him and behind, exactly. Yeah. It's just hard for me to look at at him without looking at the entire collective, mm-hmm. right, of the the women and the men who who uh, move things and got things done. Uh, the sister, uh, what is her name? Um, there was a sister who first called for the Montgomery boycott, right? Like, because it was supposed to be a one day thing. Mm-hmm. There was a black woman who, who was passing out pamphlets like, yo, we need to do this, right? And mm-hmm. then they called in and said, hey, you know what, let's get this young man, this this charismatic leader to join this effort. And then they, they started to expand it, organize it, you know, on a, on a deeper level. Right. But it was, it was a sister let, that, but let me give you, but let me give you a question. Let me can that, I give you a scenario. Cause even before yeah. then, right. Even before then, even before Rosa, right. It was Claudette, right. It was Claudette Coven who was actually the original quote unquote Rosa Parks that didn't move and all this stuff happened. And then because she had a baby out of wedlock and was younger, they decided to redo it with Rosa Parks. Now, in today's society, if everything happened the same way and then it leaked that, you know what, we actually had this sister, but because she had a baby, because of this and she wasn't holier than now, we actually removed her and put somebody else in that position. Like, I don't, I think that that's the, I don't think that the boycott happens in the same way, but I get your point. It is a different time. There are different things at the space. I just feel like it just, I'm worried that if, if we're waiting for a huge collective hap, uh, like a huge collective action to like really pull us to the next level of where we need to be, um, 
I just, I, I just don't, I don't have a, I don't have a faith uh, that that's going to happen. What I do believe in, I believe in small sales. I believe in individuals. I believe in some very motivated people. I think I'm a very motivated person. I think that if you put my back up against the wall, I can do some stuff the same way you can. And you know, the eight black hands or whatever, but that's a small group. Um, I don't know. And we got more, and we just got more people here, right? It's more people in the United States is more people in certain age ranges. powers have shifted, right? Like we don't live in a time anymore, even though black and brown communities are still trying to hold on to this, where it's like the elders and you got to wait your turn type stuff, right? We also live, we live in a society now where young folks is like, I ain't, I'm not waiting. I'm not doing that. I'm doing what I need to do. All I'm saying is I'm noticing the chronic system that we live in. That's just, we just live in the time we just live in. We live in 2020. Yeah, but that's, that's my whole thing. Like, and, and I guess I'm looking it's important. at important. I mean, and it's important. Yes, but, but you're I, looking I, at it I, like, I agree oh, with you. But you keep saying like oh, we live in a time this and a time that like you know like history repeats itself and as and I don't always quote Mark Twain but you say even when history doesn't repeat itself it rhymes right like when right. you say oh the youth today they're just seizing it and they're just you know they jump I'm like uh, that's always been the case right there's always been a dynamic between youth and elders and most movements when you start look with at young them, people start with college students yes it was it was I, the youth so it was I never it's that. not like in 2020 now youth are like hey I'm I'm tired of waiting right it's like the the uh I think that the young people zeal of the power. young and the wisdom of the old has always collectively as as uh my man Amir Suleiman says right like that's it's together that's what what moves things forward the I got zeal you. of the young the patience of the old, the zeal of the young, the wisdom of the old. Like that's the combination. I mean, look, that, that me, comes together. Me and you and are looking no at what. I, I think, think I'm looking at you as a young man and I'm the I'm the elder, right? Like it's the same, it's the same thing. Like it, Yeah, but but I mean, but also, right, like in the collectivism, but also, I mean, there's a level of maturity that we both have and places where we struggle, right? But like you and I read this, like we read similar things. So when I say I don't know if I struggle with maturity, bro. I, no, no, no. I'm talking no, about I'm struggle. I'm just <laughs> what I'm saying is, <laughs> but I, I think having a movement and sustaining the movement is very very difficult and I think that like and it always has been right it's but, never, you it's and never I been an easy time right to, right um, and, and for the to, most part you and I speak the same language so when I say interest convergence you mm-hmm. actually know what I mean yeah well so why don't you explain it for those I mean it's, I'm, I'm actually going to probably do a terrible job so you back it up but I'm it, my very dumbed down version of what the amazing Derek Bell was saying was find out the things that you all agree on and we're going to focus on those things. Mm-hmm. But if you're, trying to, if you're trying to be a thousand percent just online with every single thing, then you won't have any allies. So basically, uh, it's been summed up by a bunch of leaders. And you've said this on this podcast a bunch of times. That means no permanent friends and no permanent en- enemies, right? Permanent interests. Like there are times where it's some people that I got to bang with that I might not like on issue X, but on issue Y, which is super important, we got to rock together. And then later on, we might be on opposite ends of the table for something else. But did we come together long enough to have some type of collective impact? Like, so I'm going to, let me just say one that wasn't a, our audience, uh, Dr. Cole does not think that you're dumb and that you need a dumb not at all. version. Um, that was a, that's just how good, I that explain a, things for myself. That was a good explanation. And, and I think it's right. Like, you know, we don't have to agree on, a, on every single thing. It reminds me of like, you know, the original rainbow coalition, which we spoke mm-hmm. about before. Right. I mean, right. 
you know, Fred Hampton and and uh, the Latinx and the, the Chicano movement and, and, the, and the white folks, the white folks starting the white uh, Panther Party, right? Like, and there's, you know, folks who are saying like, you know, what are our interests and how do we move things forward as a collective? Mm-hmm. And I think there are many, many opportunities to do that. Right. No, I agree with you. And I mean, also shout out to Fred Hampton, Maywood's finest. I was born, that's where I was born at, was mm. in Maywood, uh, the west side of Chicago, um, where he was also murdered. Um, but like, and, and yeah, and I, I don't, I don't, I think our, our crowd is amazing. I, I think it's some of the brightest people ever. So don't this be just introducing how, stuff as a dumb this is how, version. This is my version. It's how I, it, listen, <laughs> let, let, but let's talk. But on my Stuart Scott shit, right? Like, uh, as I just mentioned, like, I want this stuff to be accessible. Like, this is the thing. This, this is why I move like this, though. Because I saw, I, I went and got a doctorate. I saw the scam of it. The scam is to take simple things and make it sound really, really complicated so somebody can pay you to make it simple again. Like, that's, that's like, like, so I'm one of those people, I just want to give it to you as what it is. Mm-hmm. And I, we could have said that in a bunch of Malcolm different said, ways. make it plain. He said, yeah, make it plain I, to the if people. You, or if you can't explain it to a third grader, then you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> right? So, I mean, so so I think we have some of the best people that listen to us ever. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I think on this thing, and we can close this out um, and, and soon or whatever, but I actually do appreciate this conversation. I think we should do more of this, Sharif, because we, we, we together a lot and we work together a lot, but rarely do we just get to have like a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate I, it, the moment is a blessing. But what I want to say on this, though, is like, you know, I also am engaged with social media in a very different, more intimate way than you are. Like, I, I, I actually deal with these folks differently. Right. So I've seen like really dope potential leaders in various things like start to make that climb to like actually put their stake in the ground. And I've seen people pull up old stuff, like just cause, just so they can get that, 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 that attention in the moment. Right. And it's, and maybe that's why it's so disheartening for me because you and I run in similar circles, but we also run in very different circles. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, a lot of people I deal with grew up with social media. They grew up understanding the internet and how power moves and like how to use that and capitalize on power. Like you have two examples, the Obama election and then the Trump election. Social media played key, key roles in both of those, but in very different ways, right? It's a big weapon and depending on how you use it, you can wreak havoc or you can, you know, actually use it for some good. So, but I agree. I actually don't disagree. I don't, I agree with most of what you said, to be honest with you, right? And I think part of this is me, who is the older brother in real life, but on this podcast is is is, is somewhat the baby. I, I want your wisdom. Like, tell, give me your message of hope because where I'm at now, I'm like, look, my door is open for people that want to get down together, but I ain't waiting on I'm not, I can't wait on anybody because if I was waiting, and this is, and we all do this and I'm just going to call myself out on it. All this stuff is wrapped into our own personal experiences, right? Like mm-hmm. in, in a world where I had to depend on people when I was younger, like they was, they just wasn't in good places. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't best for me to depend on those people. So now as somebody who's had to be really sufficient, self-sufficient coming up, and I had a lot of people that helped me along the way. Nobody does this stuff by themselves, but it 
I look at collectivism and groups in a very different way. If it's like, look, if I just feel like there's going to be some BS, then I'm going to just move on and I'm going to just have my go at it because I can miss the game when it's shot on my own, when it's my hide on the line. But uh, but go ahead and give us give us that wisdom, brother, and take us out with your wise words. Um, I think because I think this is a great way to kick off Black History Month. Just two brothers that. Uh, well-read, love each other, got a, have done a lot together and will do more together. Just having a real conversation around, I think that the video that you sent was a great launch-off point. Uh, and we'll put the full link, the link for the full video in the description so you can go and check it out for yourself. This is neither an endorsement. Yeah, I was or, just about to say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, or a knife at this guy. We don't really know him very well. Um, very well. We don't know him at all. We saw, but we I, I, I did my research. I went and researched him. Um, I did go research him. His stuff seems pretty cogent, but I don't know if I, you know, I don't know where he falls on. So basically the point is if homie is a nut job, this is not an endorsement from the A Black Hands. We do think that he had a very provocative uh, statement that thesis that he made and, and I'm glad we got a chance to argue it or to discuss it. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think the idea of what he said, you know, particularly in the beginning this idea that um, you know politicians by itself are you know, that get elected are not, you know, the cure all for, you know, for everything. It has to be a whole ecosystem of people in all different realms and roles uh, doing things. I think, uh, you know, part of when I saw that I was looking at uh, the Pew Research from from last year where it uh, was it say like 38 percent of black people thought that more uh, black politicians was the road to. Uh, more equity and, and justice. So that's, you know, that's a less than half, right? So everybody didn't, you know, didn't think that anyway, at least in the right. poll that, that Pew did. Less, even less white people thought that, <laughs> you know, only 24%. Maybe that's why they're not, they're not out there voting for more black people. Um, you know, but I think, you know, whoever it is, it's like, what do they do with the role and the positions that they're, you know, that they're in? Like at the end of the day, that's right. what's important. It's not the role. It's what you do in the role. It's not your position. It's how you play it. And I think too many people are more infatuated with getting the position than actually uh, making, ensuring that that people in the communities uh, make progress. And as far as you said, like the social media, like, yeah, I, I again, I hear you. But when we mm -hmm. look at the context of before, it was the newspapers, right? And like that right. was the most powerful medium, right? And they it were, was. yeah. And so when I, so I, I look at all of this in context, what did Malcolm say about the newspaper? The newspaper, then it was TV. If, I got yeah, I mean, yeah. He it, said, it, if it, you're it, not careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. Absolutely. So whether it's social media, whether it's newspaper, whether it's television, whatever the medium is, like it can be used to, you know, marginalize further, to discredit. Like that is the number one thing that that uh, this kind of stuff is used for is to discredit people, um, particularly if they're doing an ounce of good. Uh, what did right. Stuart say the other day, right? He, I think he quoted a biblical passage, like as soon as you start taking a couple steps towards, towards God, there are going to be, you know, the devil's going to be on your heels. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, and if you're, I mean, not if, you, if you're not doing anything, he ain't going to bother you. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I think social media is just another 
uh, another example of that. And it can be used for positive things. It's like and, and, it, and it a trip how these like really religious sayings kind of go across all of our religions. Because me and you have a very different religion, but I definitely have heard all of that, right? Like that's usually the testimony portion of church, right? And Where, when you like, when you say very different, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a little story. Well, um, it's uh, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. I just want to give you a little <laughs> a little story. So in in Islam, the yes. the, the our prophet sent a, a group. They were being persecuted. Mm-hmm. You know where he sent his group? To Go a ahead Christ- and tell me, brother. To a Christian kingdom in East Africa. Mm-hmm. And they asked about, about Jesus. When they explained to him what Muslims believed about Jesus, the king, this African king who was Christian, a lot of people don't realize Christian Christianity was also in East Africa. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just the European version of Christianity. He drew a line in the dirt and said the difference between our religions is as thin as this line. So when you say very different, I understand. it just made me think. You know of, what uh, I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know that there's a difference, and 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 they also have similar roots. I get it. There's yeah. Anyway, we we not. That's a whole different podcast. I think you should start. <laughs> I think, and just also to your point, right around, and this is the other side of it, right? Like I'm not I'm not dogmatic about this stuff. Like mm-hmm. social media and the internet played a huge. It has played huge roles in something like the Arab Spring, right? Like that that up. Uh, that wouldn't have been able to happen. Uh, the Michael Brown stuff wouldn't have been able to happen without like social media the way it did. So I, I these are the again. I don't think that's the tool is bad. I just see the potential <laughs> uh, and the I respect the, the power that these tools kind of have. But just in closing, I'm curious, right? Because. Tell me your North Star, because I think that if people did this more, they'd have better relationships and they'd probably do more collectively. I want to know your three things so I can do my own self-alignment with you around our own interest convergence. So like, like I have the reasons why I do this work and why I'm on this podcast. Right. And all I got to do out of the things that you list, if we, if I find one thing in common, then that 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 binds us. So let me just let's just try for people. Let's we're about to build some better relationships, and people are gonna send us an email, and they're gonna be like, mm. "Man, I know these group of people way better." Or they're gonna say, "Damn, I can never hang out with those people again." But whatever <laughs> whatever it is, we about to be powerful. So I'm just uh, what, give me your north stars. Like so, my why, north. Why, why you do this work? So how I do this work? So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote to you, and I think this captures a lot. You know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm you know I. I'm pushing the banner, the bloodstained banner uh, for black liberation, you know, but I, I all, you know, and not, but, and with that, I also, you know, here's the quote that I, it's, it's one of my favorite quotes and I, I try to live by it. Um, not always successfully, but it goes like this, hate no one, no matter how much they have wronged you live humbly, no matter how wealthy you become, think positively, no matter how hard life is, Give much, even if you have been given little. Keep in touch with the ones who have forgotten you and forgive who has wronged you. And do not stop praying for the best for those you love. I think that's a part. I think, you know, with the work, I love my community. I love my people. I try to find beauty and joy in in a world that's also on fire. Mm. And so I think this idea of realism, but also hope, is what I try to, uh, you know, bring forth in this work that's that's trying, that's, you know, uh, deeply uh, has me enraged most of the time 
And, you know, as you described before, like, you know, when people try to judge, you know, you know, from peer, I, I have friends who who say like, I cannot believe that they hired you to become a teacher because mm-hmm. most of the, the, the way the El Mecky that they knew was always angry, was furious and just did not have it channeled in, in positive and productive ways. It was, mm-hmm. it's really, you know, self-destructive in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, so I, I think this idea of evolving and channeling the rage, because I think injustice deserve, um, deserves our rage. Mm-hmm. But, you know, trying to do something about it. And while that's happening, while you're fighting uh, to also be able to, to recognize humanity and, and beauty and, and love. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think I just really try to work with my spirituality while I, I try to fight with you know all my might at the same time that's what's up uh i think there's a lot of things in there i agree with mine my north star just so you know and i do just as much work in healthcare as i do in education um Mm -hmm. i just can't talk about one as much as the other one but but all of that stuff is because the people that's worse off that are centered tend to be black people Mm -hmm. and it is something like I feel like we do have to be in those spaces and I do feel like we have to advocate. So there's one, two, I just want, I want to be able to take the final shot depending on my own life. Like I want to be in a position where whether I fail or succeed is depending on the ability and skill that I build up versus um, what a, what a larger group may or may not be doing. Um, that's just, I don't, I don't like my agency taken away. Um, when I lived in a shelter, like my agency was taken away, right? Like I had to be in at a certain time. I had to eat when people told me to eat. I had to do these things. I had to watch my dad be like under curfew, right? Or visiting him in jail, right? Like, like, yo, watching your people get searched or, Hey, you know, we, it's time to go back. Like there's just a level of freedom and agency that I fight for, uh, which aligns me with so many people that's involved in the work that we do. Right. Um, I think the other thing is, I just feel that as beautiful as the world is and what it got to offer, I've also seen, um, the, the, the other side of it. I've lived and grown up in like a different side. Um, where like real evil lurks, man, like real things like happen. And I just remember just being like, I never want to be a victim to this stuff. Right. Like I just, I've always had that kind of mentality um, that I don't, I don't, you don't get to victimize me. Right. Like, so I think that in those things now for people listening, there is a lot of stuff that both Sharif and I said, Um, not all of it is exactly the same thing, but if I know, that Sharif thinks about black agency and self-determination the way that I think about agency and self-determination. If I know that you run up in that man's house, that's not the house you want to run up in because he will do whatever he needs to, to protect his family and something steals by any means necessary. And, and I, and I feel the same way, right? Like we can connect on those things. We can grow. Maybe we grow in those other places together or maybe not. But if, if I know those North stars and he knows mine, that is what we just discussed. Like, because for all intents and purposes, right? Like, you know, and it hasn't been a thing with us, but there are Muslim and Christian friends 
that are no longer friends because of the doctrines that they that they're part of. Right. And I mean, that's not that's not saying that they right and wrong or we right or wrong or whatever the case is. But if we wanted to not get along, like if we wanted to find things that divided us versus the the, the, the more things that brought us together, then y'all wouldn't have this podcast or those great live shows or the talks that we have. And I wouldn't have one of my best friends in the world. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast. Sharif. I love you, Dr. Cole. It's what's up, man. Look, look, I, you know, I know you missed a certain level of yelling today. I know you missed a certain <laughs> level of interruption. That, how did it feel you should have been able to finish a thought? How was that? Actually, I... I I don't. I don't mind. <laughs> I, I, I wish I miss our antagonists as well. Your antagonist, like it, it doesn't do that. You know, I don't antagonize when Ray isn't here. Yeah. Ray makes me antagonize. But no, <laughs> Chris, we love you. Ray is my dude. I've been texting Ray this entire time. So mm-hmm. Ray is my guy. He know these jokes is getting off. Y'all been listening <laughs> to the A Black Hands podcast. Happy Black History Month. Even though we should be celebrating our people. And these accomplishments all year round. Every but, month is Black History Month. February, February we're just the blast. on it. We get to put some sauce on that thing. So uh, for Sharif El Mecki, actually understood that. Yeah, this is Dr. Cole sauce on signing it. out. <laughs> Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecki, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.